Matthew's gospel in chapter number four, we have a very uh, familiar text that is at hand tonight. And notice what he says in Matthew's gospel, chapter number four, and I'll begin reading down in verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So they straightway left their net, and their excuse me, they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the divine truths that are found in the scriptures. Now I pray that you'll help us tonight to be able to impart understanding, knowledge, and wisdom of the Bible. And Lord, may you help us to be an encouragement to your people. I would ask tonight as the church prays about their faith promise missions commitment, I pray that you'll help them to step out by faith and to go beyond. And Lord, that you'll help them to make a great commitment. And God, may you prove yourself over and over again throughout the coming year faithful. And God, may you encourage your people tonight by your good grace and provisions. Now, I'd ask you that if there's one here that's lost that does not know the Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God convict them and bring them to that place of repentance that they may turn to the Lord. I would ask our Father tonight, if there's one here that is backslid and they're not where they should be with you, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict them, bring them to that place that they may forsake their sin, that they may turn to the Lord, that they will ask for forgiveness and that they'll rededicate their life to you. And I pray, Father, if there's a young man or a young lady tonight or someone here in this church under the sound of our voice whom the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with concerning serving you in a full-time capacity, I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to them and may your will be done and accomplished. I pray that you'll give us your divine power and presence tonight, give us clarity of speech and mind, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I contemplate this passage of Scripture, we find that in Matthew's Gospel in chapter number 4, that Jesus is in the beginning of calling his disciples. He is beginning to build those that will follow him and those that he will establish the local church with and he will authorize them and teach them and train them in discipleship and to go forth and to evangelize the world. And yet we find that at this stage, Peter is not ready for world evangelism. He's in the beginning of his calling into the ministry. And Jesus, in fact, sees him fishing by the seashore and walks by and sees him and calls out to him and simply says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How intriguing that must have been to uh, Peter, being that he was a fisher of fish. And now the Savior walks by and says, follow me and I will not help you to become, but he said, I will make you to become fishers of men. And sometimes God will allow circumstances and things in our life in order to make us what he wants us to be. And I believe sometimes that's where there are challenges and struggles in the heart of Christians because they want to serve God, but they want to serve God in their fashion and in their way and in the concepts of their mind. 
But God has something bigger in mind sometimes. We were talking with pastor at lunch today, and I don't know what brought the statement up or what brought my attention to this particular statement, but I said to him, I said, unfortunately, over the years, I've known men that are more talented than me and the entire staff at the Rock of Ages Ministries put together, all summed up in one individual. But the tragedy is they'll never reach their capacity for the Lord because they are unwilling to step out. They're unwilling to deal with issues of their heart and allow God to mold them and break them and make them a vessel that's fit for the master's use. And here in this text, we find that God is going to begin to work in Peter's life, and God's going to eventually make him to become a fisher of men. And so tonight, if I had a title to put on the uh, sermon tonight, it would just simply be something along this line, the making of a servant. And could I say to you tonight that everything that happens in your life and mine, it happens for a divine purpose. Even those things that we make that are decisions out of the will of God and the decisions we make that devastate us and cause us grief and heartache and sorrow and causes us to live a hard life sometimes. I remember Dr. Emerson used to say when he was a missionary in Nicaragua for a Nicaragua for 19 years before coming with the Rock of Ages ministry, he said they had a saying in Nicaragua, he said, you live hard and then you die. And everything that happens in our life, God allows it to happen because God is trying to move us and God's trying to get us into his perfect will in our lives. When the Bible says that God did tempt Abraham, he is not speaking of tempting him of sin. He is talking about the trying of Abraham's faith. It's much like the piano tonight. It is a stringed instrument. And if a string on that particular instrument gets a little loose or gets a little tighter, more tension than it needs, then anyone with a tuned ear, and if it gets out of tune enough, anyone can readily acknowledge that there is a string that needs to be adjusted. And the tuner will take a wrench or a tuning fork and he'll strike it and now they have the new digital form of tuners. But he'll put a wrench on that tuning pin and he'll begin to torque it or to put pressure on it. And he'll put a little pressure and strike the fork and he will listen to the trained ear and he will put the right amount of attention on that string in order to get it to exactly where it needs to be so that when that string has struck with a hammer that it makes a particular peculiar sound. And that's exactly what God does in the human life. God will allow a little pressure here and a little pressure there and a little tension here because he's trying to tune us and get us into the very center of his divine will exactly where he can use us and we'll strike the right note for his glory and honor. And so we're going to examine tonight three fishing trips that Peter made in the Bible. It's recorded in the Gospels. 
In fact, it is recorded in all four Gospels, but the Gospel of Mark is a repeat of one of the Gospels, and so I will look at Mark's Gospel, or excuse me, we'll look at Matthew's Gospel, we'll skip over Mark, and because it's a repeat, if I remember correctly, of Matthew, and then we'll look at Luke, and then also John, and we'll move into the book of Acts and see the final outcome of what God did in his life. Are you ready? Let's look at the first fishing trip that Peter takes. Notice it is in our text because Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and Peter and Andrew, his brother, is there and they are. And I want you to watch the play on the words in our uh, scripture as we make our way through these texts. If you're like me, you believe that every word, every jot, every tittle is there because of the divine inspiration of God. It's not there by happenstance and it's not there to make the sentence more fluid and understanding. It's there by divine providence and inspiration. God put every word there to help you and I understand the truths that he's trying to convey. And so notice the play on the words, the singularity and the plurality of the use of the word net. They were casting a net into the sea. Why? Because they were fishers. And so here they stood by the seashore, and there's three major types of nets that were used in the Bible. I'll not get into them, but here's the casting net, and they are throwing them into the sea, and they are catching fish. And so Jesus walks by, and he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now watch verse number 20, and straightway they left their nets and followed him. Notice, if you would, the plurality use of that word here. They're using one single net. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And when he called them and they followed him, they left all of their nets. You say, preacher, what does that mean? What is God trying to do in Peter's life? Let me just summarize it by saying this very quickly. God's trying to teach him the, the power of a surrendered life. God has called Peter while he's in the midst of his occupation. He's casting a net into the sea. But when the Lord calls him, he leaves all of his nets and follows him. And that implies that Peter has made a full surrender to the Lord. If someone comes up to you tonight in the parking lot of the church or outside somewhere as you go out shopping or outside your home and they hold a pistol up to, for you and say, stick them up. You know what you're going to do? You're not going to put your hands up. That means I surrender. And to surrender means that you are yielding yourself to the will of another person. And God is calling for Peter to be willing to surrender his occupation, to be willing to surrender his talents and his time and his skills as a fisherman. Peter was raised up on the waters. But when the Lord called him, he left all of his nets and followed him. As we consider the life of Peter in this very text, Peter made a full surrender to God. As I thought about a surrender, I thought about the man who was on the foreign field, the missionary, and he was baptizing converts. And a man walked up to him, scoffing him, and the converts that were being baptized. And he challenged the missionary, and the missionary said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you give your life to God and witness to the man the man scoffed at him. He said, how can a man find God anyway? 
He said, I've sought for God and cannot find him. The missionary said, I'll tell you what, you come into the water. The man entered into the water and the missionary took him by the head and he submerged him under the water and held him until the man was breathless and struggling to come up out of the water and the missionary brought him up at the last second and the man was coughing and hacking and trying to get his breath and the missionary said, you asked me a question. You asked me how and where can a man find God? He said, I ask you a question. What did you want when I was holding you under the water more than anything? What did you want more, more than anything? What would you have given everything you owned for while I was holding you under the water? He said, I'd have given everything for just one more breath. And the missionary said in his wisdom, when you seek God with everything, you'll find him. You know, I believe we're not seeing God move in our lives and our churches and our ministries tonight. We're too satisfied. We're satisfied with just the norm. We're satisfied to come in and go out and never change. We're satisfied to come in and sing the hymns and songs of Zion out of duty and responsibility. We're satisfied to give until we satisfy our souls rather than the very God that we serve who sacrificed and gave himself on Calvary and shed every drop of his blood for our salvation. We're willing to satisfy ourselves, but we never consider the matter satisfying our Heavenly Father. A surrender. David Livingston, someone asked him one time, said, Mr. Livingston said, what have you got to say about the great sacrifice that you made? You seem to be uh, at the point of sacrifice more than anyone that we've ever met. And David Livingston said, away with the word in such a form. Don't say that it is a sacrifice to serve God. Say rather it is a privilege to sacrifice, to serve God. The great debt that we owe to the Lord. I thought about Jim Elliott, that missionary, who simply said that he is no fool. He gives up what he cannot keep to obtain that which he cannot lose. And the faith promise mission's uh, commitment and our living and giving by faith is merely coming to a place where we're willing to surrender and allow God to use us and use our resources for His glory and honor. It is a matter of surrendering our wills to the will of the Heavenly Father and being willing to please God rather than ourselves. There may be those sitting here tonight that could give substantially in faith promise missions and yet it would not be a gift of faith. It may be a large quantity in human reasoning, but compared to the resources, it really wouldn't be faith. If someone that is a multi-billionaire gave $1,000 a week to world missions and evangelization, that really wouldn't be much of a sacrifice. In fact, I'm not even sure you could consider it a sacrifice. But if any of us here tonight gave $1,000 a week, that would be a massive sacrifice. You see, the Bible says that God gives out of consideration to his 
resources, according to his research uh, sources. He doesn't give out of his resources. He gives according to his resources. If you give out of it, you just kind of give whatever you want. But if you give according to, you consider the full volume of your resources and you give according to. You make a sacrifice. And so we find that here, Peter has been taught how to sacrifice. I remember Randy, our son, years ago when we were still on deputation and trying to raise our support. We were in a missions conference at our home church, the Greater Portland Baptist Church at the time in Portland, Oregon. And the missionary stood and gave a presentation and he was needing some extra funds for projects and some things for the ministry on the field and our son Randy was getting ready to go to Bible college. And he'd been saving money to try to pay for a little bit. He didn't have enough to hardly get the entrance into the college, much less pay for anything. But he was sitting there that night and he got under conviction about it and he spoke to his mom. Peggy was sitting beside her and said, Mom, I believe the Lord wants me to give what I've saved for college uh, to this missionary to help meet the need. We've taught our children to give, but I want to be sure they don't give out of emotions. I want them to give because it's the genuine sacrifices there, and they understand that that's what God wants. And so I, she said, well, you need to talk to your dad. And he slipped over beside me. I questioned him a little bit, and uh, I looked at him. I said, tell mom to give you your checkbook. And so uh, he cleared his checking account out. He only had about $600 saved up. It wasn't hardly enough to get in college, much less pay anything toward a semester. And so that night, he uh, wrote his check and cleared his checking account out. School was to start in just a few months away, and here he is sitting with a zero account, and we didn't have the money to send him to college. But the man he worked for doing concrete work had bid for a state job in the state of Oregon and really didn't want it because of the stipulations and so forth once he got into it, but he was already committed for a bid, so he set it excessively high. And then after he got the job, he realized that he had to set a standard, and this is back uh, probably close to 20 uh, years, 25 years or more ago, and he was going to be making about $26 an hour as base pay, and he was going to be making time and a half uh, for a certain amount of pay. Then once they went over, I think it was 60 hours, he got paid double time. And here's a young man in his mid to late teens, making upwards of 50-something dollars an hour 20-something years ago. And God, in just a few weeks, gave him enough to pay a semester and then some. He had come to the place he had yielded himself to the will of God and allowed God to use him and surrender what he had to the Lord that it may honor him and please him with his resources. You've heard the story, I'm sure, of Mrs. Ellis praying for her mocha, and the Lord provided it in the middle of the highway as we were going down the road. Let me briefly share with you for those that may not know. We were going down the highway, and Mrs. Ellis looked at me and said, I'd like to have some mocha. And I said, what in the world is mocha? I'd never heard of it before at that time. And mocha is chocolate and coffee mixed. And some of you, I can tell by your expression, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And she looked at me, and I said, well, what is it? She said, it's coffee and chocolate mixed. And, and I said, I bet God doesn't even know what that stuff is. I've never heard of such in all my life. 
And any time I wanted a new hunting rifle or a new pair of, of boots or a suit or something, she'd always say, no problem, pray for it. And so I thought, well, here's my opportunity. I said, good. I said, then pray for it. So she bowed her head and prayed, and just a very quick prayer, something to the effect of, Lord, I'd like to have some mocha, and you know we can't get it. And so just a simple prayer, amen, looked up, and we'd go more than a couple miles down the road. She said, stop the car, stop it now. I slammed the brakes on, and she got out of the car, walked around the front of it, bent over the yellow line. I started to put it in drive and go on down the road. I thought she had lost it. She come back, sat down in the passenger seat, had a little can about like that, about that wide, about that tall, had a plastic lid on it, and it was what they called, now I'll probably mess it up, Vienna mocha or something like that, and it was in powder form, and it had been open. She said, God gave me my mocha. I said, that stuff's been open. You can't eat that or drink that. She said, oh, yes, I can, because God gave it to me, and I know it'll be okay. She said, you want something? I said, no, not at all. If I drink that stuff, God will judge me and kill me because I doubted it from the time you said something about it. And she drank it, and she still lived today, and she don't mind reminding me of my little faith. We had gone out just a couple years later on a trip, and Victoria and Randy were at home, and we'd left them a certain amount of money to purchase food and so forth, but uh, they had blown it all in the first couple of days and called and said, Daddy, uh, Victoria said, we need some grocery money, and uh, I said, I want some hazelnut bread. And I didn't even know they made hazelnut bread. All I thought was white bread and wheat bread. That's all I'd ever heard of, and biscuits. Cat had biscuits at that. Somebody say, man, let's go eat. And I said, well, sis, I guess you're just going to have to pray about it because we can't get any to you. She said, well, God provided mom with some mocha when you didn't have it. I guess he can provide me with some bread when I don't have it. I said, well, then pray for it and see what God will do. And there was a little store down about a block away from the house and they were walking down there, and as they approached the uh, store, they looked up on the sidewalk, and there was something in a little bag, and uh, they got a little closer. Victoria realized it was a loaf of bread, and in her heart, she was totally convinced it was hazelnut bread. And a man walked out of the store and started walking down the sidewalk, cut toward them, and walked by and looked at that bread, and Victoria didn't even know what it was. She hollered and said, hey! Hey, mister, don't you touch that bread. That's my bread. God sent it to me. He said, ma'am, I ain't touching nothing. And he walked on down the road. He thought she was a lunatic, I'm sure. She got up there and picked it up, and guess what it was? It was a bag and a loaf of hazelnut bread. And I can tell you story after story after story tonight of the provisions of God and how that he has met the needs over all the years. But it started with just a simple surrender saying, Lord, you can have my family, my wife, my children, my home, my houses, my lands, my finances. Yea, Lord, you can even have my life, whatever you want. So we find that God is dealing with Peter about a surrendered life. Then secondly and quickly, go with me to the book of Luke chapter number 5 and let's quickly examine the second fishing trip of Peter recorded in the Bible. 
in Luke chapter number 5. And um, to get it all, well, let's read it all. It won't take but a second, beginning in verse number 1. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were going out of them and were washing their nets. Wait a minute. In Matthew's gospel chapter number 4, they left their nets. What are they doing with them again? You see, it teaches us that the, a surrendered life is not just a one-time surrender and it's done. The surrendered life is a challenge. We have to surrender moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. The surrendered life, we have to be conscious and cognitive of it all the time. And here Peter has left his nets and now in Luke's gospel, he's already picked them back up again and they're washing them because they've used them. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now Simon left speaking. He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. They were fishing in shallow water in Matthew's Gospel 4. Now in Luke's Gospel 5, they're still in shallow water. There comes a time you've got to step out. Get away from the shore. Tim, something bigger for God, something greater for God, something more magnificent for God. And so he says to him, launch out and let down your nets. And notice the plurality of the word. And Simon answering said unto Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the, what's the word, net, singular, and here the Lord has said, Peter, let down all your nets. Put them out. You're going to catch a great drought of fish. And he said, Lord, we've been toiling all night long. And that means hard labor. They put all of their physical energy into it until they were at the point of being absolutely exhausted. And that's what the word toil implies. They had done it. You see, Peter was a fisherman. He knew the fishing holes. He knew how to fish. He knew the currents. He knew exactly everything, humanly speaking, that needed to be done. And he said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. There is no fish that's biting right now. There's no fish here. And the Lord said, Peter, let down your nets for a drought. And Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Now, that's not what God asked him to do. God said, you let down all your nets. And guess what happened? And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. You see, God blessed them. And because they were half obedient to the Lord, they couldn't stand the blessings that heaven bestowed upon them. And when God pours out his blessings upon us and opens the windows of heaven, if we're half-stepping the will of God, we won't be able to handle the blessings he gives us anyway. Something's going to break down along the way. And so here you say, preacher, what's the Lord trying to do here in Luke's gospel? Very simple and very quick. In Matthew's gospel, he's teaching them the power of a surrendered life. Here he's teaching them the power of a, a life that is submissive, a call to submission. You see, there is a vast difference in surrender and submission. You can come to this altar every service and a thousand times in your lifetime and say, Lord, I surrender to you. But if you never submit to the will of God, your surrender is vain and void. 
You see, uh, submission demands action. It's like thanksgiving and thankfulness. I can be thankful in my heart for something or someone, but thanksgiving requires action. I can be thankful without action and genuinely be thankful to God for you or for anything in life that God's bestowed upon us. I can have a thankful heart but and never put action to that thankfulness. But I cannot have thanksgiving without action because thanksgiving by definition demands action. Thanksgiving says I'm going to do this to show you my gratitude and it's like surrender and submission I can surrender without ever taking the first step but I cannot submit without taking the first step someone can hold that gun to us and we put our hands up and say I'm yielding myself to your will and they may say give me your wallet give me all of your money give me your jewelry your watch and everything that you have and I can say to them look fella don't pull that trigger I've surrendered to your will but I don't have to submit to him. I've surrendered, but I don't have to. I can tell him, you're dumb in a box of rocks. You ain't getting my money. I don't have to surrender or submit. And that's the difference in a surrendered life and a submissive life. You see, the truth of the matter is God's trying to work in Peter's life and he's bringing him from a surrendered life and now he's teaching him submit because uh, Peter's still trying to use his human intellect, his, uh, his, uh, his talent and his gift and his experience and God's saying, Peter, I don't want you to do it your way. I want you to learn to do it my way. In verse number 8, Peter's feeling unworthy of the blessings of God. Let me give you a simple illustration. I'll try to close this out momentarily. We were at our national conference last year, and we had a a missionary from the Middle East, and I was trying to help them, and it's a national from the Middle East, one of the Middle Eastern countries, and we were trying to raise funds to help them with a particular project, and we do an others project during our national conference, and we can raise from a few thousand to a substantial amount. We never know. It's just in God's hand. And I said to him, I said, we might raise a few thousand. Could be five or 10,000. Could be 20,000. It might be 100,000. I have no idea. We'll just come and pray and see what God does with it. He stood and gave his presentation. The burden, God began to move. And within about 15 minutes or so, by the grace of God, uh, we were able to raise about $93,500. We needed to help uh, in the country of Brazil. We needed about $62,000, and I said to the staff, we're not going to go after that. I'm not even going to mention it. I don't want to take advantage of God's people. They've sacrificed. Our missionaries are some of the most sacrificial giving people. Speakers from all over the world that spoke for us have said, we've never been around to people like your missionaries that surrender and give sacrificially. We have missionaries on deputation, only have a couple, three or $400 a month support coming in. We'll submit and commit to $1,000 for a project and give it over a period of six months or so. It's just, it's amazing what God does. And so they gave, and about 12 to 14 hours later, we're in the morning service on the next morning, and um, I'd said to Dr. Dunster and the staff, I said, no, we're not going to say a word about Brazil. We're just going to let God take care of it, however God chooses to take care of it. We had a missionary from Brazil, but the John Alves stood, gave his testimony, and uh, God began to move, and the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart to take the offering. And so I said to Dr. Dunsford, I said, get your pen and paper ready. We're going to take up an offering. Within just a few minutes, God gave us over $66,000. And within about less than 
about 14 to 16 hours apart, God gave over $150,000 in an offering to a people that didn't have it. One of our missionaries, and I'll be careful not to breach any confidentiality, came and said, Brother Ellis, I've been saving money for years to buy a house, and they had 30, if I remember right, it's $32,000, $33,000 for a down payment and to pay a closing on a house, and said, God's overwhelmingly impressed in my heart to give that toward this offering. We talked and said, let your pastor know and get his counsel and advice, but I was convinced that God was leading them, and so they gave that money. I can't tell you tonight of all the things that God's done for them since then. Just a few months later, I was in a church. A man came up and said, how's your vehicle doing? And they said, well, it's doing okay, using a little bit of oil here and there, and had like 280,000 miles on it. He said, meet me at the car lot in the morning. You pick out any car you want, and I'll pay for it cash on the spot. You see, you can't outgive God. We needed money for the national conference budget, and I didn't have but a fraction of it. Not like a church where we take up offerings all the time to meet it. And I'm not implying that every church meets its budget that way, but we're not able to do that. And so I never said a word. I said again to the staff, we don't say a word. And then when I uh, got back to the office, there was a prisoner I'd been working with for several years. And I, he'd got out of prison. He'd call from time to time and say, well, Brother Ellis, uh, I went to this church and they preached this. That's not Bible, is it? I say, that's right, Greg. That's not Bible. Keep looking. And I'd counsel with him. And he called me one day and he said, Brother Ellis, I went to this church and they preached this and this and this. He said, that's not Bible, is it? I said, oh, yes, Greg, that's Bible. I said, you found a good church, it sounds like. He said, that's not Bible. I don't agree with that. In fact, I don't even want to talk to you no more. And he hung up on me. Didn't talk to me for three years. And then out of the blue, about a year and a half or so, maybe a couple of years before the, this conference, uh, Greg had called and we started praying. And I'll not go into all of it, but he's told me he was uh, disabled while he was in military service and he wasn't able to get his um, retirement and disability. And so he said, if you'll pray for me, he said, if God were to bless, he said, after I pay my tithe, I'll be a blessing to the Rock of Ages. I said, Brother Greg, it doesn't matter if you're blessing the Rock of Ages or not, I'll pray for you. And so we prayed a couple of times on the phone, got back from the national conference had a letter from Greg, opened it up, and a $33,000 check dropped in my lap. And I thought, that, there's no way. Because he was going to be evicted several times. I was asking for money. I said, Greg, you know our policy. We, we, don't, we can't give you money. I'm sorry. Everything we have goes into propagating the gospel. We, we don't do that type of thing. He said, I just wanted to let you know. He said, God heard and answered your prayer. I got my disability. He had gotten a substantial, sizable check. He said, I paid my tithe, and I just wanted to send something to the Rock of Ages. He said, what would you do? I began to wonder, how many more prisoners have I made mad over the years? <laughs> Later, he sent another $6,000 check for a particular area of the ministry in the printing ministry, and then he sent another check a little later of $5,000 in another area of the ministry. You never know who's going to be surrendered and submitted to the will of God and be willing to be able to allow God to use them as a tool, a vessel, an instrument in the hand of God. And then, if I can say this very quickly, go with me to the book of John, and I'll close here. In the book of John, chapter number 21, we find that the Lord has been crucified, he's been buried, and 
We find that in the passage of Scripture, beginning with verse number 1, uh, down through verse number 11, and again, I'll not take the time to read all of it for the sake of time, but in verse number 3, uh, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night, and I want you to notice this, so it's also found in Luke's gospel. And that night they caught nothing. Can I just say this? Once you surrender something to God, it'll never be the same. He surrendered his fishing and his nets to the Lord, and they never caught another fish without the divine intervention of God. Once you surrender something to God and he accepts it, it'll never be the same again. If you take it back, it will never, ever be the same. And so that night they went out, and again they caught nothing. Notice the play on the words in verse number 8 and verse number 11. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not able, or not far from land, but were, as it were, uh, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And notice, if you would, in verse number 8, if you would, please. And he said unto them, This is the Lord, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast thereof, and they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And so now Peter has learned the power of surrender. He's learned that whatever the Lord says, to pay close attention to the details. The Lord said, cast your nets, and he cast the net, caught so many he couldn't bring them in. Now the Lord said, cast your net singular, and so Peter casts a single net. He has learned his lesson in submission. You say, well, then what's the Lord trying to get him to do here? I don't have time. I'm not going to take the time to go through all this, but he is teaching him a life of separation or sanctification, if I could put it that way. He's teaching them to do it his way. Peter knows, and he says, cast the net on the right side. Peter knew the currents. You don't throw your nets against the current. It sweeps under the boat. But the Lord said, Peter, cast your net on the right side. and You shall find. And Peter throws his net singular on the right side, and they caught so many fish. Notice again in verse number 8. Then look with me in verse number 11. Instead of them cast the net on the or verse number six, pardon me, on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find they cast thereof, and now they were not able to draw it in for a multitude of fishes. In verse number eight, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And then notice in verse number 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. Now watch this, 150 and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And so when Peter had surrendered and Peter had submitted and Peter had sanctified himself and set himself apart, forsook all of his ways and followed the Lord, and to the most minute detail, God blessed him and his net never broke. Now, I want to close with this thought. Have you ever noticed in the Scripture, these Scriptures are rich. I probably should have preached a whole series out of this week from the truths that are found in these texts. But did you notice in Matthew and Luke's Gospel, it just says a great number of fish. But in John's gospel, he said there's 153 in the net. Notice what he says. 150 and three, and for all there was so many, yet was not the net broken. I wonder why God let him catch 153, the exact number, and their net didn't break. Matthew didn't say anything about how many they caught. Luke didn't say anything about how many they caught, but John did. And I was reading and studying. Remember Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And I was reading and studying on the Sea of Galilee. And there's one or two 
authors, historians that made this claim that said in the Sea of Galilee there were 153 different species of fish. Could it be that the Lord said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's going to send them into all the world. He's going to stand on the day of Pentecost. People from all over the world is going to be there when he preaches. And the Lord lets him catch one of every species of fish. Did the Lord ever make him a winner of souls or a soul winner? As the preacher mentioned tonight, go with me now to my closing verses. In Acts chapter number 2, notice what the Bible says in verse number 41. Peter stands and preaches in verse number 37 down through our text. And Peter preaches repentance in verse number 38. And then in verse number 41, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know what? Peter stands, preaches his first message, and he brought 3,000 men to Christ. I'd say the Lord made him pretty good fisher of men, wouldn't you? First sermon, 3,000. One time I preached in Uganda and gave an invitation. And I'll not go through all of it. And I've said for years, 362 came forward for salvation. I was reading back through my journal a while back and realized I was off on that number. It's 462 in one service that came forward to receive the Lord. But never, ever 3,000. Never. The Lord made him a fisherman. Notice in Acts chapter number 4. In Acts chapter number 4, notice in the uh, scriptures, in verse number 3 and verse number 4, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold, and the next day, for it was eventide, howbeit many of them which heard the word, and this is Peter's message, are responding to the gospel, and he says that, that many which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about 5,000. First sermon, 3,000 saved. Second sermon, 5,000 men saved. 8,000 saved in two messages that Peter preached. I'd say the Lord did a pretty good job making him a fisher of men, wouldn't you? I'm talking about the making of a servant. Now I wonder tonight, and I'm going to close with this. I wonder tonight who it is that God's trying to make and what he's trying to make you into. All the things that you face in life, it's God putting pressure here, obstacles here, and he is ever in his providence moving us to exactly where he wants us. From our finances, to our relationships, to our families, to our very life itself. Would you be willing to surrender tonight and say, God, Everything you have is yours. You show me what you want, and I'll be submissive. And God, I will take that amount that you led me to give. I will sanctify it and set it apart. And I promise you, I'll fulfill it. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to show yourself mighty. Lord, I'm going to trust you to fill my nets and not allow them to break.